In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful. And may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. Brothers, sisters, and dear respective viewers, wherever you may be, assalamu alaikum jami'an wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And uh, since this is the first of our lectures of many, inshallah, in this new calendar year, uh, may, inshallah, this year be one that is filled with health and blessings and increased faith and action and belief, inshallah, for all of us and you and your families and loved ones, inshallah. So we are continuing where the last time we left off, which is trying to understand or as much as possible get an appreciation of the world of the afterlife, the hereafter. The topic that we want to address today is going to be starting on this uh, journey, but starting to look a little bit more at the sequence of events, this time looking at the world and how this system of existence that we have, the life of this world, is going to end and going to be replaced with an entirely new and different system of existence. So what we've covered until now, I think the importance of the topic should be clear. The discussion on the soul should be clear. The arguments that we established to prove that there is an afterlife, both from reason and from the Holy Quran, should be clear. And we began afterwards to look at the sequence of events. So we began with this topic until now. Uh, covering the kind of first chapter we can refer to it, and that is <clears throat> the events around or surrounding death. So as a human being is dying, the extraction of the soul, and then the actual death, so that there is no more connection at all between the... Uh, So, there, so that there is absolutely no more connection between what is happening between the uh, soul of the human being and the body. And at that point, we consider the person to be uh, entirely dead. Um, if there are people trying to log in, I don't know if they're hearing us or not, but inshallah, if they're trying to log in, uh, we are waiting for people to log in through the uh, Zoom link as usual. So everything is on Zoom, and you just need to click on the most recent link that was sent, and inshallah, you can join through Zoom. So, as we said, we, we finished, inshallah, we completed the discussion related to the chapter on dying and death, and then we spent uh, a couple of lectures going into a little bit more detail, given the interest in the topic, going in a little bit more detail specifically on Alam al-Barzakh, this middle world between the time a human being dies and when they are going, this world is going to end, including the end of Adam and Barzakh. And the next chapter of that is going to be rising in the afterlife. So, from here, are in, here on in, what we want to do today is to start, as we said, to look at the sequence of events. So a couple of points to mention before jumping into the actual events. The first one is we've been kind of wrapping the entire topic of the afterlife uh, under one big heading, which is afterlife or the hereafter or alam al-akhirah. But the truth is, and inshallah this is starting to become clearer and clearer, is that there are many very big chapters happening. This is a very long process. And it's not like you know, a, a point in time and then everything, you know, you flick a switch and everything changes. There's a very long process happening and 
from our perspective, as we said, even the moments of death, that's, that seems to be an entire chapter on its own. And then once you have been questioned, then you have, as we said, sealed your fate for what type of existence you're going to have in Alam al-Barzakh. That will be a world on its own, with its own uh, kind of reality, with its own laws, with its own way of operating and, and uh, functioning. And when we talk about the afterlife, it's the same thing. So what we're going to start with today, inshallah, are you're going to see each one of these could definitely become one or many more lectures if we wanted to. Each one of these big chapters, we're covering them very fast. Inshallah, between two and three lectures, we can kind of wrap up this topic uh, where we just go through the sequence of events by looking at the verses of the Quran without you know, providing a detailed commentary on these. It would take too long. Uh, but at least getting a quick, we can maybe call it a, a snapshot or glimpses of the image of this world ending and alam al-akhirah coming into existence. That's what we're trying to do. Otherwise, as we said, literally, like there's a very uh, clear way of, if we wanted to spend more time on this, establishing that we're actually talking about different worlds or, or different realms or different dimensions for each one of these very big chapters, in any case. So that's one, just understanding that this is a very long process as opposed to just a, an event. These are, are two different things. The second point is that when we talk about the afterlife, and inshallah this is already clear, we're talking about an entirely different system of existence with different types of laws and even our own existence, even though we spent, I think, a good amount of time discussing how we would exist and how we would have bodies and souls uh, and that there is provision of food and drink and enjoyments of all sorts of ty uh, types uh, for those who are going to be enjoying themselves and all sorts of torments and torture and punishment for the others. The bottom line is, as we said, all of this is going to be truly, to, to be fully and truly appreciated. It's impossible to do just with language. This is something that has to be experienced and lived. And we are talking about an entirely different type of existence. And as the Holy Quran itself says, we are going to create you in that which you do not know. So it's impossible to fully appreciate being in an entirely different world, entirely different type of existence with its own laws and structures and, and so on and so forth. But we're trying to approximate based on the tools we have, based on the language and the images and the uh, you know, rhetorical tool, tools at our disposal. So the idea is that we want to understand when all of humanity is going to be raised back from the dead in one place at one time so that all of these people are brought to the trial before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is going to be happening both for individuals. So this happens for each and every one of us as an individual. Your own acts, your own intentions, your own thoughts, everything you did, everything you thought is going to be assessed, evaluated, scrutinized, uh, and then eventually and ultimately rewarded or punished. It's also happening at the collective level. So this is also happening at the level of communities. It's happening at the level of societies. When you are part of a community, there is a uh, right, a privilege, a right, a responsibility, a duty that comes into account and you are responsible for living as part of a group of other human beings. And this seems to be uh, different groups. So there are your immediate groups. There is a uh, you are part of a family, you are part of a clan, you are part of a community, you are part of a society, and you are part of an ummah. And this ummah extends in time too. That, so it's not only the people who are living with you right now, it's you are part of history. And you are stuck with decisions that have been made before you, or you are contributing to things that have not yet happened. And you're probably, your actions and your decisions are making a difference for things to come after you. So all of that is going to be taken into consideration and the trial and judgment, inshallah, when we talk about it, you'll see that the verses of the Qur'an are clear that there is a part that is happening for people as individuals and there is a part that's happening for people as part of collectivities and as part of groups. So 
Though both are happening. Okay, and so both of these are also taking place when we talk about uh, being resurrected and being uh, put on trial. And as we said, the, the verses of the Holy Quran are very, very numerous in this regard. We're only mentioning the ones that hopefully are going to give you kind of uh, the most important and the, the, the clearest images uh, in a very, very short period of time. Uh, and the ones that you should probably at least be aware of. Uh, otherwise, if we wanted to spend much more time and go through a lot more verses, or if we wanted to add the narrations, uh, this would require a much more extensive uh, discussion. So we'll see where we get, inshallah, just by uh, uh, keeping our eye on the time. So the overview of the lesson, inshallah, is going to be in, the, in this proper, in this sequence. These are the big chapters that we're going to be looking at. So first, we're going to look at the state of our world. So by looking first at, you know, whether you call it the ground you're on or the planet that you're on, we're looking at what happens to Earth, this planet, what happens to the seas, what happens to the mountains. All of these are a set of verses that go together. And we'll see how basically, even at a physical level, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala very clearly describes in the Holy Quran and a complete and, and uh, final destruction and annihilation of this world, starting from those things which we consider the closest and most immediate to us, but also those things that we consider to be the most fixed and stable in the world. Uh, and then going further and further out and bigger and bigger, how basically everything that happens in what we refer to as the universe, so the skies with everything in them, planets, stars, astronomical bodies, are going to uh, stop functioning in the way that we understand they function currently, and we'll go through the verses. And then, once all of this happens, the Holy Qur'an talks about a shout, or a cry, or a blowing in a trumpet, or a horn, that will put an end to all of life, and potentially to all of existence. But what we know for sure is that it puts an end to all of life. Every living creature dies at that point, no longer has any life, including everybody in Adam and Barzakh, which we have talked about, except those that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to keep alive. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala clearly says and makes a point to mention that there is an exception to the rule, but this is not described in the Qur'an. Who is under that exception? And then this is going to be the uh, end of this world. And afterwards, we have the beginning of the next world, which is another shout, another cry, another blast that brings the next world into existence. And so this is when everybody comes back into existence and there is no longer anything resembling this world. There's no more barzakh. We are finding ourselves in the afterlife on Yom Al-Qiyamah. It will be Yom Al-Qiyamah at that point. And this happens when it's marked clearly with a second shout. Okay, and inshallah we'll go into more details and if you have questions, we'll answer them at that point. From there on, we move from one station to another. Clearly from there, it will be very, very manifest for anyone at that point that the world in which we are going to exist is going to be entirely different. And one of the clearest distinctions, one of the clearest things of that other world is that you are going to understand God's agency, God's power, the things that we refer to as God's attributes you will not understand them in a theoretical way as you do here. You're going to experience them. And this is how you're going to uh, experience right away that there is no more any entity that has any power to do anything. The only entity that can do anything at that point, and you will grasp that intuitively and experientially, is going to be Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we, what we refer to as Tawheed, it will be apparent and clear and intuitively understood by all. There will no longer be any ties. So a thing can no longer have an effect on another thing. A person can no longer have an effect on anything. Okay, so this is what we see, what we mean by, you know, the divine governance. That the sovereignty, the dominion, the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala becomes clear. After that, there is a trial. So now that we have the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that's why we said we're going through the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We move to the justice of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And of course, the Quran describes this in a lot of detail. How Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's trial is 
the most just and an ab- absolute, infinitely just trial, where every thought, every you know iota of an action or a thought or a deed or an intention is going to be part of what is assessed, what is scrutinized, and what is evaluated in the most just way possible. And then there is a movement of people in groups uh, all the way to their final resting abode, home, which will be either hell, inshallah, not for us, and or paradise and heaven. So we'll go through those details too. And as we said, we're going very quickly through these. There's a lot more that we could add, so it's all going to depend on if you ask certain questions or uh, you're more interested in certain topics that we're going to cover perhaps very quickly, then we can certainly add more uh, as needed. But this is going, uh, kind of the uh, high-level overview and the bare minimum that we at least need to cover uh, regarding this topic. So if we start with, as we said, the quick sequence of events. So we're starting from our own planet. So we are towards the end of the existence of the world in which we live, the world of Earth and where it is located in the universe and so on and so forth. That's based on our understanding. So the Quran starts by explaining to us that there's there's going to be a great shaking that takes place. The Earth, the ground, shakes greatly, moves very violently. This is going to be followed by an expulsion of the weights that are in the earth. So anything that we consider weighty. So this can have more than one meaning, including those things that are important. So perhaps the things that we may refer to as, uh, you know, gold and silver and minerals and uh, the oils and those things that humanity is at war over and, you know, killing themselves over and doing everything in life to get a possession of. Earth is going just to be pushing all of those things out and they will no longer matter at that time. There's also another interpretation here that the weighty things are actually happening later when this is the second Earth, this is the Earth of the afterlife, pushing out the human beings that are in it. But that's another interpretation. And then uh, there's a description in the Holy Quran that there is a flattening. So there is a hitting, a destruction, a pulverization of earth and everything on it, including that which we would consider to be the most majestic, the most stable, the most firm thing on earth, the mountains. Those are the things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, He put them there specifically to stabilize the planet so that the crust of the earth does not move. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, We put the mountains as pegs so that the ground does not move under you. So even those things, the pegs that have been put in place so that the ground doesn't move, are being entirely and completely pulverized into powder and dust, as the Quran says. And it just flies in the air as though it never was. It just becomes powder in the air. Okay, so this is what's happening to the ground, a complete flattening of earth, including the everything on it, which includes specifically the mountains, which are mentioned again and again. How they start moving very quickly first, so you would never believe that these were the mountains that have been fixed and there forever. And now you see them start moving very quickly as though they are clouds. And then they are hit until they are pulverized. And then they become dust and just flying in, in air. Cotton initially and then dust. And we'll see some of the verses speaking about that. And then when we come to this ease, so the oceans and the big uh, you know, water continents of the world... You see that the Holy Quran talks about them uh, moving and shaking and overflowing and then exploding and turning into fire. So these are some of the descriptions given to what is happening to the planet at that time. And clearly there are human beings still there. Soon afterwards, everything will end. But there are people who are going to be witnessing this. So here are some of the verses of the Quran that talk about this again very quickly. So, when the earth is rocked with a terrible quake, and the earth discharged her burdens. So, this is something that the Quran does using past tense, talking about something happening in the future. And this is done when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to, in Arabic, you do this to show that something is happening with certainty. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses the past tense to something that's happening in the future. So, when the earth is rocked with a terrible quake, and the earth discharged her burdens. 
pushed out all those things that were heavy and weighty and valuable in it. They've now all been pushed out. Uh, and another verse, and throws out what is in it, emptying itself. Okay, so this is uh, in reference to those things that are pushed out from the earth. O humankind, be wary of your Lord. Indeed, the quake of the hour, and as Azalat al-Sa'ati, the quake of the hour, is a terrible thing. So this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talking about the quake of the hour. So what's happening to the planet, the shaking of, of earth, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the creator of the planet, the all-powerful creator, refers to something as being terrible, in the Zalzalat al-Sa'ati shay'un alim, there is something terrible, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes it in the Qur'an as terrible. You know, it's, it's really highlighting, it's really underlining the, the horrific uh, scene that is happening that human beings are going to be experiencing. And then when we turn to the mountains and you see the mountains, which you're supposed to be fixed, which you supposed to be fixed while they drift like passing clouds. So this is the movement. So there's a sequence here. First, the, the mountains are starting to move. And the mountains will be like carded wool. Okay, so when wool is, is worked and, and uh, you, you make it into smaller and smaller pieces. And then when that which befalls arrives. So this is a reference. That which befalls is Okay, waqa is an event happening. Okay, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says when that which befalls arrives, there will be no denying it. Bringing low, raising high. So here some commentators say that when you look around in the world, you'll see that there are people who you know, don't deserve to be in positions of prestige and high status. But they are. They happen to be in high positions. And the opposite. There are people who should be in lofty and high positions, honored, dignified, respected in the world, and they are low. This is just the nature of the world. So here they say that uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about how in the afterlife, those who are going to be low in this world are going to be brought back in their high positions, which they deserve. And those who are in their high positions in this world undeservedly are going to be brought back to their low positions. So that's one interpretation. We put it aside for now. The other one is, no, this is a description of what is happening to the physical world. So when the verse says, when that which befalls arrives, there will be no denying it, bringing low, raising high. So in other words, Allah subhanahu wa is saying, your world is being turned upside down. That which is low is now high, and that which is high is now low. There's a complete turning over of everything that you, know, you recognize in your world. When the earth is shaken violently, and the mountains are shattered into bits, becoming dust scattered in the air. So if you can imagine earth moving into this type of scenario, you can understand how you know, uh, bringing low and raising high, what's happening. This world is getting destroyed entirely. In chapter 73, the day on which the earth and the mountains will shake violently, and mountains will be reduced to heaps of shifting sand. Okay, so now you're seeing slowly the, the mountains going out of existence entirely. And the earth and the mountains are lifted and then leveled. A single leveling or a single grinding. Just one single grinding and they're just flat. Leveled. They ask you about the mountains. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet, they ask you about the mountains. Say, my Lord shall scatter them as ashes leaving it barren, so leaving the land barren as a plain. You will not see any crookedness or unevenness in it. So the, the lands that you currently look at, which are filled with valleys and mountains, become entirely flat because everything in that was causing the crookedness of the land has been leveled, ground, pulverized into one flat landscape. And indeed, we will turn Whatever is on it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about the earth, and indeed we will turn whatever is on the earth into a barren plain. In 18.8, in uh, Ja'ayuna Ma'aleha, Sa'idan Jurza. 
and in, in, uh, it's described as a mirage in, in 78 in Surah Al-Nabat. Uh, Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala says that it's as though the, either it's a description of the movement of what is happening or it's a description of the fact that you look and it's no longer there when it was something that was there before. Okay, so either or you can see that Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala is talking about the earth, the ground, the mountains, all of them being entirely gone, uh, ground and pulverized. And then Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala talks about the seas when the seas are set afire. So in 81.6. So there's, and, and there's multiple verses here. As we said, there's a lot of description. We're just taking quick sampling. So this is what's happening to the planet. Now we look beyond the planet. So let's look at the skies and the stars. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that the light of the moon will go away. The light of the sun will go away. Okay, there's khusuf, there's khas that happens uh, to the moon and to the sun. That's close to. And then what happens is that the moon and the sun entirely merge into each other. And then after that, everything in the sky, so that includes the sun, that includes anything that we consider to be the shiny objects in the sky, so that includes planets, all of this is referred to in the language of the Arabs at the time, they refer to all of that as Najm or Najum, including planets and, and so on and so forth. So it could be a galaxy, it could be a planet, it could be a star, anything that we consider an astronomical body was referred to as a, as a Najm. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that all of these are going to be scattered, they're going to be dimmed out and uh, their light will be extinguished. And so clearly, there is no longer what we refer to as the trajectories of the planets, for instance. These are no longer in place. The fixed positions of the stars that human beings have always used to navigate, for instance, all of these will change. None of that will be in place. All of this will be going away. And the sky itself is going to be major, major things are happening to the sky. It's going to be, depending on the descriptions you look at, it's going to be ripped open, it's going to be broken, it's going to be uh, cleft, so you know when, when you put a, a knife through something, you cleave it, uh, it's going to be cleft, there's inshiqaq, there's infitar, so these are different words that the Qur'an uses to clearly again and again say the skies that which you know, and which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes himself in the Holy Qur'an, as being one of his greatest creations. In fact, he reminds the human beings in multiple verses, asking them, do you think your creation is greater or the heavens? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, look at the, this magnificent structure that we've built for you. And in other verses, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the stars as being, or the heavens as being created to protect you. These are a protection. The earth, the atmosphere of the earth, for instance, is created to protect the earth. And anyone who studies a little bit of what happens and how much debris comes from outer space and how we are protected from it. And all of this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, is all going away. And uh, those things which you consider to be stable and fixed and so uh, magnificent, so splendid in their creation, uh, that they would, you could never imagine them going away. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says all of that is going to be ripped open. It's going to be cleaved. It's going to be torn apart. It's going to be rolled up in, in some uh, verses. And it will be completely opened into portals or into gates as we have in, in Surah Amman, we'll see inshallah. And then we have a description of the color of the sky or the shape of the sky turning into a flower. So people who have looked at, for instance, pictures of galaxies, uh, you may think about something related to that. Uh, there's a description of the sky turning as though it is molten metal, right? Kal-muhl is molten metal, iron. So uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is describing a completely different reality than the sky that we know or the heavens that we know. And then ultimately all of this will become smoke and cloudiness. So it's as though there's just a lot of dis destruction and the ultimate end of all of this is going to be this smoky or cloudy state. So some verses to, to corroborate or, or confirm all of this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, he asks, the human being asks, when is the day of rising? So this is uh, 75, this is uh, chapter uh, Surah Al-Qiyamah, 
When is the day of rising? When the sight is stunned and the moon is eclipsed and the sun and the moon are joined together, then the human will say, where is the escape? Okay, so that's one description in Surah Al-Qiyamah. And another one, so watch out for the day when the sky brings forth clouds of smoke, clearly visible. In another verse, when the sun is wound up, when the sun is wound up, and when the stars fade away. So that's one, one interpretation of why the Nujumun Kedarat, something that completely dims out. Okay? So they, they turn off, they shut off. When the sun is wound up and when the stars fade away. On the day when the sky whirls or churns or goes into a great convulsion. Okay? It's a, a very strong, violent movement. It's like you put a water in a bucket and you, you spin it around or you shake it. That, that's a description. The day when the sky will be like molten brass. So this is takunus sama'u kel muhl. When the sky is split. Or in another verse, on the, day, on the day when the sky will be shattered. The day the sky will be shattered on it. His promise will certainly be fulfilled. In another verse, when the sky is shattered and then when the stars are scattered. Okay, so again, different descriptions, all of them amounting to the same thing. When the sky is torn. When the sky will be torn, for it will be frail that day. So this is what we consider to be firmament. This is what we consider to be strong and solid and fixed. Allah subhanahu wa says it will be very frail that day. It will be vulnerable and weak. When the sky is torn, turning into a crimson. This is in Surah Al-Rahman. When the sky is torn, turning into a crimson flower like tanned leather. Right? Allah subhanahu wa describes Kanat uh, Wardatan, describes uh, the sky as turning into Kanat Wardatan, Kedihan. So there's a color that is described and looking like it's beaten up leather uh, of that color. So it's a crimson red, uh, dark red color. But it could also be a description of the flower shape itself. So if you can imagine a flower, that's what the sky is described as, as looking like. And the sky will be open, becoming gates. Uh, the sky itself will become the gates or the portals and then the day on which we shall roll up the sky Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says we're going to fold them up or roll up the skies as you can fold up the scroll of a book or the page of a book that's exactly the description Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives Right? The day on which we shall roll up the sky like the rolling of the scrolls for writing. And in another uh, verse, and the sky is stripped off. So that's when you strip something off of, like paint off of something. Okay? So the, the sky is entirely being removed out of its place. And then we have, um, and maybe we'll stop after this. We have the shout of death. So as the events are taking place one after the other and this world is coming to an end, one thing after another is getting destroyed, finally there is a shout, a blast, a cry. Uh, and it's described in multiple ways in the Holy Quran too. So it is described as a sayha. That's why we say it's a cry or a, a very loud blast. It could be just a, a sound. Uh, but there's also a reference to a sur, for instance. Uh, so a sur is, you know, in the old times, in the ancient times, they used to use the horn of an animal, uh, and then later it was a trumpet. Okay, so this is, you know, what allows you to amplify the sound a lot more and send it a lot further. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is the, the image that he gives us, is that there is a shout or a blast and a horn or a trumpet, and this is what causes the death or the complete annihilation of life. This is what ends all life. And so this is described in multiple ways, numerous ways in the Holy Quran. Once this happens, initially, and as this is happening, there's a great fear that overtakes all living entities. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and then everybody 
goes into non-consciousness. Okay, and we'll see the, the verse inshallah. So basically there's no more life. And if you go to the narrations, you see a much more you know, detailed description of what happens. But this is basically the end of life. Okay, and there is nothing in existence anymore after that point. And this constitutes the end of the existence of our world writ large. You know, not just our world on our planet right now. No, our system of existence as we know it ends with that child. Okay, and so a few verses of the Quran that have to do with this. When the trumpet is blown with a single blast. Okay, and another verse they do not await but a single cry that will seize them as they dispute. This is in Surah Yasin. And this is how unfortunate, and the Quran says that. The next word is how unfortunate for the servants. Ya hasratan ala al-ibad, right? The Surah Yasin talks about this. Even at that time, the Quran says, as this is happening and the world is getting destroyed and the trumpet is being blown and life and existence is ending, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, they do not await but a single cry that will seize them as they dispute. They're still disputing. They're still yachissimun. They're still in a chisam, in a disagreement and in an argument, even at that point. Okay, so in any case, the next verse, the day the trumpet will be blown, whoever is in the heavens and whoever is on the earth will be terrified, except whomever Allah may wish. So, uh, this is uh, again you see here that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you the more universal more general rule that this is going to apply to all existence but there are some who may be outside who may be the exception to this but those require a special exceptional permission from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be kept outside of this to be kept outside of being afraid and so some have said this is the constantly mentioned uh, you know, verses in the Qur'an that talk about those who are truly believers. They, there is no fear for them. They never fear anything. Uh, there's nothing that terrifies them. And this goes on and includes all this. Those who know that this is happening, they're okay with it. Those who know exactly what is happening, there's nothing, you know, out of the ordinary here. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has described how this world will end and this is how it is ending. And so that's it. You, you are at peace with that. You understand what is happening. Those who don't understand or who have always rejected this are going to be the ones who are terrified. Or, you know, that's one, one strong interpretation to these verses. And in another verse, and the trumpet will be blown, and whoever is in the heavens and on the earth will swoon, except whomever God wishes. Swoon is... Fasa'iqah. Uh, so it's basically to lose awareness, to lose consciousness. Okay, so this is perhaps the word that the Holy Quran uses. It's usually translated in this way, but most likely it means it's death or more than death. It's kind of an immediate uh, absence of life entirely. And this includes, as we said, it includes Alam al-Barzakh. So this goes beyond the, the shout or the, the blast of the trumpet, goes beyond just the material world. It's not just the material world that's ending. It's the system of existence in which we live and in which we exist entirely ceases to be. This is all going to be replaced by something else. So the shout of death, uh, as I called it here, is that point that marks the end of the world as we know it. Okay, and I think I'll, I'll stop here so that we, we don't go beyond the time. We'll continue, inshallah, in the next time. So with this, inshallah, we, we've covered uh, the four, first four chapters, first four sections. As this world is getting destroyed and we've reached the point where this world has been entirely destroyed. Right? So between then and the next shout, there is not a lot mentioned. In the Holy Quran, there is nothing mentioned, in fact. It just says that there was there is a blast, everything and everyone will die. And then there's another blast, a blast or another cry, another shout, and then they are all raised back from their death. So what happens between these two? How long does this last? What else exists? What else is happening? This is not really 
discussed in any shape or form in the whole Quran. We would have to go back to some narrations to see what else is happening. And we have narrations that say that there's basically nothing that exists. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts to death everything. And the, the last that he puts to death is the angel of death himself. After he, uh, he asks him to take away the lives of the other archangels, the uh, main angels with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who perform all the duties and who command all the other angels, including Mikail and Jibra'il alayhim salam. The only one remaining in the end is the angel of death, Azrael. And so, and so the one who, who, uh, who, who uses the trumpet or the horn to, to make that blast to end, that's Israfil. And so then he is put to death, to death. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who takes away the soul of the angel of death. And then everything else is gone at that time. But the Holy Quran says in more than one verse, perhaps two, it says, Allah. And then there is a resurrection or bringing back from the dead that happens in the afterlife. So this begins the next world. And during that time, we have some narrations that say that this time is... 40 years, but we don't know what type of years those 40 are. Perhaps it's not time. Perhaps the notion of time ceases at that time. It's no longer the time of the universe as we know it. There's another narration that says it's 50,000 years. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says during that time, To whom belongs sovereignty or kingdom today? And there's no answer because nothing else exists. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala answers himself. He says, so, after that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings back to life the angel that was used to uh, use the, the trumpet, the horn, to put everyone to death. He is the same angel who brings everybody back to life with that blast, with that second blast. This one, we can call it maybe the, the shout of life, the first one being the shout of, of death. So, inshallah, this is where we'll continue and the next time that we meet. So if you have any questions, concerns, comments, please uh, don't hesitate either to write if you're online uh, or for the brothers who are here, sisters who are here, or use Facebook. We're watching all of them. So there's a first question. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, so... Will the people who are in Barzakh be experiencing the destruction of the mountains and the seas and the earth and everything else? Or is it only for the people alive? No, so only the people alive are going through this. But the world, the ending of the world, every, every aware and conscious entity will experience it. Okay. Yeah. Yes? If uh, the island of Barzakh is also uh, like finished, what about the people who were alive at the end? Do they not experience that life? Which life? The, the alam of the alam uh, Yeah. So there is. We have to go into more detail to see who is most likely alive at that time. But it's clear that there are human beings still alive at that time. They may not experience, or they may experience for a very short period of time. There is no detail given between. You know, the, the things, that's why I said, when I started, I said, this is a long process. It doesn't say exactly how long does the destruction of the earth take place for, or the mountains, or the, the heavens. It could be something that happens, you know, miraculously and supernaturally in a very quick way, or it could be something that lasts years, perhaps many years, perhaps decades. We don't know. So as this is happening, but most likely some of these are happening, you know, as events, clearly, but they're not necessarily events that happen in an instant or an hour. So there are people perhaps who are experiencing death throughout. But whoever is remaining at the end, if they are experiencing that the death through the, the trumpet, uh, the, the blast of the trumpet, then it seems from the narrations and the verses of the Quran that that is the end of life. That's it. There's no more life. And that includes everyone who is in Adam. According to the narrations. Yes. Uh, last week you mentioned that you maybe go, gonna go over the sermon two twenty of Imam Ali alayhi salam. Were you still planning on doing that? If there is interest, sure. But I think it would require its own uh, lecture. Okay. 
So if you guys are interested, we can we can certainly go through it. it there's very, very many instances in Najib Balagha where Imam Ali alayhi salam talks specifically about death. Constant reminders about death, about, you know, prioritizing what is important in life and giving this world only what it deserves to be given in terms of attention. So if we wanted to go through those, that could be a whole very long series on its own. Uh, I had just picked one of the sermons in which Imam Ali alayhi salam to me seems to be talking about a lot of the things that we talked about. Uh, and there are linkages between this one. He talks about death as well as Adam al-Barzakh. And so that, I thought it was more relevant and more uh, interesting to, to mention. So we can certainly take one lecture to, um, to go over it quickly. Well, we can read it together and see what we can, uh, how we can use it and what we can learn from it. So inshallah, I'll, I'll slot it in. Uh, I put it on the side. I referenced it in case anyone was interested. But if you guys are interested, we can certainly go through it. It's, uh, I think it's certainly worth spending one lecture on. Very good. Inshallah, I won't forget. You can remind me. Um, on Zoom, are, if there are any questions, you can use the chat or uh, unmute. So one thing that I usually mention at the end of this, but since we're going to be breaking this up into a few sessions, and I think it was mentioned perhaps last time, uh, but very quickly, and I think it's important to keep mentioning it, uh, that the topic right now that we're discussing, especially for those of you who may have heard a lot of these things before, it's not necessarily that there is a lot of, you know, very uh, advanced, uh, abstract, complex ideas, things that we need to to. Uh, comprehend here. In fact, it's quite basic. Uh, and I would even argue that it, it's intentionally uh, presented in a very simple manner. If you read it in the Holy Quran, for instance, and as we're going through the verses, we could spend a lot of time providing a lot of commentary on these. But at a basic level, someone who understands uh, strong Arabic and who, who's reading the Holy Quran, without knowing much more when they get this description, and that we've began this description now, and even the, the past few weeks when we began with the description of the moments of death and how you know a human being dies and how the soul is extracted uh, and how it can vary significantly between one person and another based on their you know how much they will be respected or not uh, by the angels. To that extent, they will also be. Uh, dealt with in a gentle, dignified way, or in a harsh, even violent way, as we saw in the verses of the Quran, right? So if you go through these, and you go through Adam and Barzakh, and you go through uh, what we've dis uh, started, what we've began to describe in terms of the description of what's happening to the world, and all the way to the end, inshallah, when we reach the end of uh, this description, you'll see that there is, from a theoretical point of view, there is nothing really deep or complex or abstract. And there may, on one side, that's one side. On the other side, it may also be said that this is not really worth presenting in terms of a, a lesson, a lecture. To It doesn't deserve that type of presentation because it's so simple. This is what happens and then that's what happens and that's it. It's a sequence of events and it stops there. The simplicity seems to me to be intentional. And if you see it, if you, as we said, if you read it in the Holy Quran, you'll see that it is actually presented in a very simple way. And of course, someone can delve much deeper into it. But at a very basic level, it seems to be very simple. Because the point is not about understanding and just accumulating the information that, okay, so I know that you know these 12 things happen one after the other. It's more internalizing this, taking this knowledge, just raw data and information that you're acquiring, but what does it mean? Seeing what does this mean for you? You understand what's happening to the world in which you live. You understand what this means to everything that you perhaps consider to be stable or important and fixed, the fixtures of this world. 
none of this is really permanent. This is a type of world that we're living in. This is entirely ephemeral. This is all going away, right? Temporary. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created it for a purpose. And once that purpose is done, we move on to that for which we were really created. There's an end behind, behind all of this. And it kind of puts into perspective for the majority of us, I don't think we have most likely gone, and I speak for myself, I haven't gone through a lot of natural disasters. I've seen a few, I've experienced a few in my life, but not a lot. And even those, I think, are enough to cause trauma. You know, human beings, if they go through these types of really big events, if you're suddenly finding yourself in front of a, uh, a fire in a forest, for instance, or a violent earthquake, or some, a war, or something that, you know, usually natural disasters are even more horrific and more awe-striking than man-made ones. And those are usually enough, and none of these are ones that have are destroying the world. In fact, they're kind of insignificant at the grand scale of things, but usually they're enough to put, you know, as they say, the fear of God in people. So imagine this description when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes a point, and that to me is the other important thing here. We may say there, these are perhaps not important things to discuss. If that is the case, then why does the Quran take hundreds upon hundreds of verses to talk about this? And it's not talking, it's not just saying the world will be destroyed. No, it's describing. This is what will happen to the ground. This is what will happen to the seas. This is what will happen to the mountains. This is what will happen to the stars and to the heavens. And one thing after another. And you have colors and you have descriptions and textures and how people will feel and what's happening to them. Why does the Holy Quran do that? So if, if this is if how we want to deal with it is simply by looking at the complexity of the information. Yeah, it's true. It's not really very complex. But then we need to think that perhaps the point here is not to present something very, you know, cognitively advanced and theoretically abstract and complex. All we need to understand is why does the Holy Quran spend so much time talking about all of this? What's the point from all of this? If this needs to translate into something internal for us. You remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you remember His power, you remember the place of this world and where you are in it and where you're headed and how this is all temporary and you're moving and you're part of a journey and you're headed somewhere else. And that destination is a lot more important than the world that you're in. Anyway, so these were, were points that perhaps or not we, we can uh, explore more later. Is there a dua or a prayer? This is a question. Is there a dua or a prayer that... Uh, you would recommend to feel closer to God. This, I think, the, my real true answer to this, my personal answer to this, is that this is a very personal thing. You need to, first of all, understand God. The more time you spend understanding God, different people link back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in different ways. There are people, for instance, who, who feel when they spend a lot of time studying nature, for instance, when they spend a lot of time studying the equations that rule the world, they study the equations of physics, and they see there's entire books written on this, how elegant, there's a book, in fact, called The Elegant Universe, and how elegant the equations of physics are, because they seem to be reflecting something of a very, very high level of beauty and precision. And the more you understand this, so the more you understand a very high level of deep, real physics, astrophysics, the laws that you know rule the, the world, and of course all of these will change. There is no doubt that all of these will change. None of these are precise enough today, and they know they have shortcomings, and they're working on all of them. Okay? But what we do know is that, based on what we do know, the part that we do know, it's of an unbelievably high level of precision and beauty. Well, if you understand this, there are a lot of people who feel something for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They feel that they're going back closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by understanding this. And I think anyone who studies the Quran, and we, I think, spent a few lectures on this a while back when we talked about the importance of understanding how the Quran presents the proof that the world has a very high level of design and perfection 
and that it's the hand of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala behind all of this. Right? Khalq Allah. He, he repeats all of this. Sun Allah all the time. That he made himself. He put in him from himself his mercy, his wisdom, his power, his knowledge. So the more you understand Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the more when you see things in the world, you go through those things that you already know about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They become reminders. But when you try to understand or you want to go back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but you don't really understand anything about His mercy. You haven't spent a little bit of time just getting the basics of what, what do we mean when we say Allah is merciful? Allah has knowledge. Allah has power. Allah has wisdom. If you haven't spent any time trying to understand those things, personally, I feel it's a little bit difficult to connect because you're not really connecting with something you understand. And, you know, we've talked a very long time about we can't understand the reality of God as He is. We understand God through His signs. Through the, and He asks us to understand Him through His signs. And that's what the Holy Quran is filled with these. Right? Everything is, is called a miracle or a sign. Everything is an arrow. Everything in the universe that exists is an arrow. You can't look at it as a thing in itself. You have to look at it as a thing pointing back to something, which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we talked about complexity, like the irreducible complexity that we find in nature. You know how you find an eye on its own is absolutely beautiful. But it becomes so much more beautiful if you understand how it works, because an eye does not really see on its own. It depends on how it's created on its own, yes, but it needs to be part of a system of muscles and a system of nerves linked back to a brain that understands the signals that it's sending back for that image to actually take place in your mind. This is, the more you connect these, the more you start understanding that all of these things are connected and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has done all of this and you start linking it back to, so where are you in all of this? How do you recognize how do you tell Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you see all of this, you recognize His greatness, you recognize His power, you recognize His mercy, you are grateful to exist, you're grateful for everything He's given you, and now you're going to do your little part and do what He's asking you to do, which usually is really not that much. You know, it's, there's a bare minimum, at least start with that. So this is why I would say, you know, spend more time understanding, then you can add to it the rituals. And of course, there's a lot that you can read in the Holy Qur'an. A good indication in the Holy Qur'an itself are the verses that you see a lot of ruwayat, a lot of narrations about. When you see, for instance, that there are so many narrations about the greatness of Ayat al-Kursi. Why? How is Ayat al-Kursi different than something else? And inshallah, we'll talk one day about, you know, tafsir and al Qur'an, and we'll, we'll talk about all of that. How can one verse of the Qur'an be more great than another? They are all the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what's the difference? The difference is in the depth and in the type of knowledge that it gives you about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The honor of this verse comes from the fact that it's talking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You have verses in the Quran that talk about, let's say, a camel or an ant. You have verses in the Holy Quran that describe some laws that you have to respect and observe. All of these are miracles. Right? The Qur'an considers every single verse an ayah, a miracle, a sign. And of course, all of them, we believe in them, and we consider all of them sacred. But then when you come to Ayat al-Kursi, it's completely different. We're told that it comes directly from a treasure from under the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? It's because of the type of meanings that it holds. Now, it talks about things that you don't find in many other verses. So this is where you can concentrate, you can focus on verses of the Qur'an that speak to you, that have a meaning to you. There are little books that have been written. There's, you know, the verses in, in 25 sets of verses. You have all the prayers in the Qur'an. Those can be very, very nice to read, right? You can read them in your prayers, in your qunut, for instance, or you can just sit and, and read them on their own and think, for instance, in Surah Al-Baqarah, in Surah Al-Ibran, Surah Al-Furqan. There are verses that have prayers that have descriptions of the people who are good that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves. 
So these are things I think that can always bring us back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then in terms of ad'iyah, and that's why like the bottom line from all of this is to say the dua on its own and in itself is not what's going to make the difference. The difference is coming from you. The dua can help because of what's what it's providing to you, the instrument that it's giving you. There's no magic spell. There's no magic pill that you take and then now suddenly you feel close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But you have to actually care. You have to want to be closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That effort alone does not go unrewarded. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala repeats this. It is in the Holy Quran. There is numerous, numerous narrations and filled with uh, our books of, of uh, spirituality, of akhlaq, of irfan, that talk about this importance of making steps to move towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In your thought, in your daily routines, Make, make steps towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, you walk towards me one step, I will walk seven, or another one ten, or another one a thousand steps. Okay, so you have to make that effort. But the moment you move in that direction, it means you care. It, it has to be part of the things that you care about. If you care about it, things will happen for you. The adriya, as we said, now to, I skipped the adriya part, very quickly, all the big adriya are, are incredible. If you want to go directly to a quick source that is short, condensed, has beautiful, beautiful meanings, I would strongly recommend the 15 whispered prayers of Imam Sajjad They're at the end, if you have a Sahifa Sajjadir Kamile, or you look them up online, uh, they're the, the 15 whispered prayers. Uh, at the end end of the Sahifa Sajjadiyah, after the 54 prayers of Sahifa Sajjadiyah, there are 15 prayers. So those, you can take one a day and make that your spiritual remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Just that, it, it would not even take you two minutes to read it. And each one of these is, these are prayers that Imam Sajjad whispered. He has others, but those made it to Sahifa Sajjadiyah. So on the authenticity part, they are considered you know, as authentic as anything we have is, that's on, on the authenticity for the questions related to authenticity. And in the meaning side, I'm going to leave it up to you. Choose any of them. There is the whispered prayer of the lovers, and the whispered prayer of those who ask forgiveness, and the whispered prayer of those who want to express their that they are sinful and they're asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to, to, to forgive them, and so on and so forth. There's 15 of them. So they're beautiful. If you can learn them by heart, even better. If you just recite them a few times, you'll see, you'll, you'll remember them quickly. Read the translations, think about them. I'm not aware of any commentaries on them in English, but there might be. In Arabic, there are some. And maybe one day we can also talk about these and, and make them into our kind of a, a, a quick curriculum, a quick overview that we can provide to, to uh, kind of have a, an overview of akhlaq spirituality and uh, you know self-purification and having a little bit of a program for ourselves on what to do and make sure that uh, there's a, a routine or constant reminder to ourselves that these uh, this exists so inshallah this I, I think it was a very detailed extensive answer I, I hope I touched on what you're looking for uh, I don't know if I answered the question with here's the the magic answer but inshallah this is uh, this is useful and, and sufficient for now. Okay, so there's a question uh, that says, I was wondering if a person drowned and the body wasn't found, where would he go to the world of Barzakh? This is a topic that we did not talk about. Uh, the topic is that, you know, is the world of Barzakh, when we talk about Barzakh, does it mean that it is the physical grave in which the body has been put, laid to rest in, or is it just the moment someone passes away? And clearly, in the narrations, if you go through the narrations, clearly, Alam al-Barzakh is not necessarily about the physical geographical location of a grave. There is someone who came to Imam Sadiq alayhi uh, He asked the Imam, uh, he told him uh, the things that you are describing. So he was describing the things that lead up to Alam al-Barzakh. So he talked including 
uh, about Asrat al-Qabr. He was talking about the grave, things that happen in the grave, including when the grave uh, kind of squeezes you. And we talked a little bit about that. There's a, as a crushing. And we said this is perhaps one way to enter the next world. You have to go through this. As it happens when we enter this world, that's entering the next world. In any case, he asks the Imam, he tells him, what if someone is not on the ground? He is somewhere in the air and he happens to die. What happens in that case? How can there be a laghbat al-qabr to someone like that? And the Imam answered him, he told him, in that case, his grave is the air and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will order the air to crush him or squeeze him. So it's not really about the physical grave, the physical geographical location. That's why we said, I mentioned it in passing when we talked about this, because I didn't want it to become a, its own lecture and its own thing. But one of the things about Alam al-Barzakh is that clearly there are two things happening. There is the body that we have uh, laying in the ground physically. But if you look at it, it's just there. Nothing is happening. When you look at the, the narration, let's say you just sat with someone in their grave and you spent a couple of nights sitting with them in the grave. Would you see that body move? No, that body would not move. Yet when you look at the narrations, they clearly say the angels will come to question, to interrogate this person. They will sit him up. They will put life back into half of his body to sit him back up to interrogate the person. Okay, well, if you look at the person, they're not moving. The body they're talking about, the narrations they're talking about, is not the physical body. And the grave that is mentioned is not this physical grave. There is some sort of connection, which for sure we saw there is. And the narrations confirm that. But it's like there's a parallel world where the moment you pass into the world of the dead, into Alam al-Barzakh, you are in a parallel existence to this one. So when the body is described, when the grave is described, it's not necessary to look at this geographic point, location on earth in the ground to say, this is Adam al-Barzakh for this person. Inshallah, this was uh, enough of, a, of an answer to this. Anything else on Facebook? That's it? Okay, so I don't think there's anything else. Okay, wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala ahli tayyibin al-tahirin. Allah, wa sallallahu ala